Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. This is part two of my interview with artist, musician, poet, activist, and songwriter, Bruce Coburn. Like only a handful of individuals I have met later in life, Bruce and I had that kind of instant, instinctual connection and friendship, where I think we just felt safe and comfortable in each other's company. Listening to Bruce speak is like a meditation. Where I can be brash and blunt and sometimes combative, Bruce speaks in a calm and easy tone. And whether he's right or wrong about something, he delivers his perspectives in a manner that never puts you on the defensive. He leaves you feeling intrigued and desirous of questioning further and digging deeper on any given subject matter. And neither of us, I think, like to let a good debate or verbal investigation go stale, so he and I often end up as a couple of chatty Cathy's unwilling to end the conversation. A conversation which has very often gone off on all kinds of tangents. These are the words of Bruce Coburn. A genre of art, whether it's in music or visual arts or anything else, will add up to something that means something. Since that's a given, it's going to happen that way, then I think it's, it makes sense to pay attention to what that is and, and try to make your stuff have a point. I I wrote Call It Democracy because I'd been spending time around people who were the victims of the global economic order, who were the, the cannon fodder of that order, basically. In this current age, we're all getting to be that. But, but in the 80s, it was third world people, so-called, who were in that position. And the light that's left forms a kind of crown. The earth is bread. The sun is wine. It's a sign of a hope that's ours for all time. What is the point? There was almost a, I think when I knew I was going to speak to you, I thought I should just ask Bruce, what's the point of Bruce Coburn? What's Bruce Coburn's mission <laughs> in, in all of this? Yeah, I'm not the one who can answer that. It is an area of, of what we do that we all have to think about at some point. If you don't choose to think about it, it's going to be forced on you because you'll have to justify what you're doing to somebody sometime, even if only yourself. The starting point is that visceral thing that just wants to be, it wants to happen. I thought I was going to be a composer of music for large jazz ensembles. That's what I went to school to study. 
And I realized partway through that process that it wasn't where I should be. And I got into writing songs and it, it went from there. But the whys and wherefores, there's nothing wrong with people who want to just make music that doesn't say anything. I mean, it's not a, it's not a value judgment kind of thing, but there's some of us that aren't satisfied by that either as entertainment or as something to do. And for me, it's true for both of those things. If, even if I want to listen to, well, it's kind of a mood thing too. Of course, you know, sometimes a silly dance song is just fine to listen to when you want to do silly dancing. It's great. Or songs that maybe even say things that aren't really that that acceptable when they're scrutinized carefully. There's a lot of, of bad gender stuff in a lot of popular songs. The essentially abusive points of view that are being expressed, but but we all love those songs and we can tolerate them because they have a history with us and sidestep the issues a lot of the time. Then I'm thinking of, of a song like, uh, oh, I don't know, any of those old songs, Up the Lazy River or... As time goes by, I mean, it's a classic example of what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful song and it has a sentimental place in our hearts because we love the movie and it's a good tune and all that stuff. But when you actually think about it, it's woman needs man and man must have his mate that no one can deny. Well, there's a lot of people that deny that for for their own personal reasons and, and that they consider to be very good ones. <laughs> so you sing a song like that and you're making a statement that you can't necessarily back up. I don't think that art has to have a point per se but in a context, it always does. You have to be aware of that, I think, if you're going to be a serious artist, whatever I mean by that, I guess, if you're going to be like me. <laughs> um, you can add up the effect of stuff that was not intended to have a point really at all, except to either make somebody smile or get you paid. You combine that effort, whatever it was, with other like efforts, and it all adds up to something. A genre of art, whether it's in music or, or visual arts or anything else, will add up to something that means something. Since that's a given, it's going to happen that way, then I think it's, it makes sense to pay attention to what that is and, and try to make your stuff have a point. What I've really enjoyed about your material is this balance. One foot in one world, one foot in the other. So we have the very well-known rocket launcher and call it democracy. And I think what works for why it seems sometimes even more potent when a Bruce Coburn lyric speaks about spending a buck to make a buck, we don't really give a flying fuck about the people in misery. When that is powerful coming out of someone like Bruce Coburn's mouth is because before that, we were over here sighing and looking at the blue sky and listening to all the diamonds. Mm, and yeah. so you, it's like you've lulled us into this sense of beauty and, oh, he's, Bruce is a poster boy for uh, just wonderful, peace-loving, you know, hippie. Cult. What, what do you mean? Did he just say son of a bitch? <laughs> yeah, that juxtaposition yeah. has really been terrific. Well, yeah, and I've used that. I mean, that's certainly conscious. I mean, if not actually intentional. I mean, those phrases or, or words wanted to be there because they were the powerful thing to use and aware of the fact that the people who are going to hear this are hearing it coming. F they may or may not know anything at all about me. Don't you call but, it but a, a, a commie do. pinko at one point? By, What's that? Wasn't there like somebody called you a commie pinko back in the day and like... Oh yeah, well, yeah. It was, well, the CBC. It was, CBC, it was that's producers right. at the CBC. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, was, <laughs> I was on on this, I went on the news I was led to believe to talk about a situation with refugees in Honduras that I had just spent some time with. This was a situation that wasn't getting any international coverage and needed to be paid attention to. 
the interview went on and, and I wasn't asked anything about this. And I sort of ended up injecting it myself uh, the way politicians do when they're not being asked about what they want to talk about. They're, very there's, deftly there's, slip it in. Oh yeah. Well, it, but it was very awkward and uncomfortable. And then they took a break and the interviewer went away from her desk and I was sitting beside her. She was kind of just on my left and on the table in front of her was her, her uh, instructions from the producers. Right. And it said, we have this commie pinko sympathizer with us who wants to talk about refugees and what a rough time they're having. Nick's on that. They saw me looking at this and everybody turned eight shades of red and shuffled and they let me do the interview again. And it didn't really change much, but it, it did a little. But it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I really, to give them the benefit of the doubt, the producers are always trying to crack up the interviewers. It's a game that gets played in newsrooms. And so it may only have been that. But the terms, and I mean, there are other ways that they could have cracked her up. And, and, and the Knicks on that was the big important part of it. It's yeah. like, I'm on here because I want to talk about this. I'm not here to talk what, about what you want to talk about. I, other, that would be a different story, right? We'd have a different conversation uh, about that beforehand. And then I would come in knowing that that's what I was doing. But that isn't what it was. So I was pretty mad. Anyway, it was a funny story with hindsight, though. Yeah. And I'm nobody's politically correct. I mean, I'm not, I sympathize with people. But those people come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It's almost like, in many ways, you're this sort of velvet-covered Trojan horse, I think, at times when you, you know, because you, you lull us <laughs> I'm into- I'm not sure if I'm complimented by that or uh, not. It's a total <laughs> compliment. I mean, you, 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 you lull us into this place of all the diamonds that mean anything to me and, and go into the country and you make us giggle with uh, the blues got the world by the balls and then you, kaboom, call it democracy. Like, so I really, I, I like Eclectia anyway. It's, for me, it's life. I mean, those, the songs you're quoting were written 20 years apart. I, I mean, some artists find a good thing and they stick with it and that's all they ever do then. And, and they, they hone that and perfect it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a more restless kind of person and I, I don't like to stay in the same place. I don't like it artistically or physically. So I've done a lot of traveling and I've learned a lot in my travels and I've gotten a lot of material for songs in my travels. I have, for the most part, not engaged in those travels in order to find song material, but I've been just circumstantially able to, to go places that not everybody gets to go to or that a lot of people would choose not to go to, I suppose. My mother used to tell me that I had a death wish because you're going, you keep going to those awful places, but the experiences that came with those places has been rich and expansive for me personally. And so I'm grateful for all of that and it ends up in song. So I wrote Call It Democracy because I'd been spending time around people who were the victims of the global economic order, who were the, the cannon fodder of that order, basically. In this current age, we're all getting to be that. But in the 80s, it was third world people, so-called, who, who were in that position. Call It Democracy now has a, a broader meaning perhaps than it did then and as it's not just the IMF anymore. It's it, the IMF is just a you know, kind of a drop in the bucket. But but back then that was an, one of the major instruments for the the domination and manipulation of of large parts of the world. You know, case in point of what we learn from lyrics like this, I actually only learned about the IMF because you put it in that song because I covered that song when I was playing the bars and, and I thought, what's the IMF? You know, I was like, that was me, and I thought, I bet, and I looked it up. So I'm just a listener out there in listening land who's hearing IMF put in a song, Dirty MF takes away everything it can get, I think is the mm, one. Yeah. Uh, and it, it caused me to actually look it up, which is something I've really enjoyed with, with listening to really talented artists is 
or reading a great book is, well, I don't know that word. Yeah. I'm going to go look at it. Of course. Yeah. That's one of the great things about exposure to art, to verbal art, at least for sure. I started this by asking about being a prolific artist. And I said, to me, I find something intriguing. I'm trying to, to imitate it in my own life with all the work that I do. I'm trying to be prolific. That's just something that's been in me for when I first learned the joy of completion, actually, and completed my very first documentary film. I thought, wow, why haven't I been doing this since I was a kid? Doesn't look like you have any signs of slowing down. What is next for you and why more important? I hate asking you why all the time, but what's next and why? Well, I think it's a legitimate question. I, I think the what's immediately next is a new album that I have, a, an instrumental album that's called Crowing Ignites. And that's coming out in September, but and there'll be a bunch of touring that goes with that and so on. That's that's in the immediate future. In other terms, I've always viewed whatever my most recent album was as potentially the last album. I mean, I don't take any of it for granted, whether it's because I run out of steam or because I die or whatever else. I mean, it could stop anytime. So I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm not a planner. I don't have long-range goals or plans or anything. I, I've kind of always lived my life by taking the step that appeared to be the obvious one next and hoping it was the right one. And, and most of the time it seems to have been. I'm not unaware of how, how things work. I mean, of course, all, to take a position like that is, or to describe it that way is maybe a bit disingenuous because, of course, I know how it works and I know what, if I do this and this and this, it's going to probably add up to that. But I don't sit around thinking, well, but, you know, two years from now, I want to be doing such and such or whatever. It's, it's not how I've ever operated. And I'd like to write more songs. But right now I'm thinking about these instrumental pieces that I've recorded and that I have to actually be able to execute when I go on tour. Well, I couldn't have asked for a better segue. Bruce's new album is mystical. It's ethereal. Well, let me put it this way. I started using the four sides of the double vinyl album as my yoga practice music in the mornings, and it timed out perfectly, including Shavasana. I don't know if Bruce would like me saying that it's a throwback to everything we have ever loved about his instrumental pieces throughout the years, from Water into Wine and Foxglove, to now a double album full of only instrumentals, but it truly is in keeping with the musical brilliance that is Bruce Coburn. Do yourself a favor and get his music through any of the means you use to listen. First, a story. I happened to be in my favorite vinyl record store in Ashland, Oregon, the Music Co-op, or Music Coop, if you know the owners. When I spotted the album Crowing Ignites, I was admittedly surprised to see a brand new, fresh-off-the-pressing Bruce Coburn album in a vinyl record store in small-town Oregon. But then the owner, John, exclaimed, Oh, I love his stuff. So, of course, I then told him of my work with Bruce, and I bought the album. Oh, and here's a story within a story. I once tried to give my new book to Gord Downey of The Tragically Hip, and he refused a free copy. He said he felt that artists should be paid for their hard work. I never forgot that. And now whenever I can, I like to pay for my artist friend's work rather than take the complimentary version. But as always, I digress. So I bought Bruce's new album, Crowing Ignites. I took it home and lo and behold, saw my name in the thank yous. Well, I can tell you, from the days of being a 14-year-old and discovering Bruce Coburn's music to seeing my name on his latest album, yeah, my chest got a little bigger that moment. But it gets better, because a few months later, I was going over album cover designs for my own new album, Mother Earth, and I thought I would read all of Bruce's album credits under the song titles. And that's when I discovered, to my surprise, this little note from Bruce under the song he called The Groan. 
Les Stroud asked me to compose a score for his film documentary, La Lush. The first idea that came was this. We didn't use it in the film, but it seemed to have its own life. From Crowing Ignites, this is the instrumental piece that I apparently turned down for my documentary, The Groan.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I was listening to Super Chunk and the Friends of Dean Martinez in that, in that beautiful song of yours, Last Night of the World. Who are you listening to now? And is there anyone out there that's presenting a message that's beyond, you know, pop schmaltz and has importance to it? San Francisco, where I live, is graced with some pretty good radio stations. Atypically, because most places you go don't have good radio stations, in my experience these days. At least by good, I mean ones that interest me. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of great talk radio, or you know, if you like what's being said, there's things that that people pay attention to. But uh, musically speaking, there's a, a good classical station. There's a, a good jazz station that actually plays a range of jazz, not just the kind of cocktail stuff that you mostly hear, and a black-owned station that has Every Tuesday afternoon, it's Coltrane for the whole afternoon. And, and it's a very quirky station. Uh, you know, late at night, it'll be all hip hop. But in the daytime, when they're playing to the older folks, I suppose, it's like that. On Sundays, they have an, a fantastic, well, it can be fantastic. They play gospel music all day. And then some of that is incredible and some of it's a little bit schlocky. But this is, so I listen to that stuff. Whenever I'm in the car, I've got one or more, or I'm switching back and forth among those radio stations. There's also the good talk radio, the NPR, a couple of NPR stations and so on. And that's really when I mostly listen to music these days because at home, you know, I've got a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. We listen to whatever she wants, <laughs> which sometimes <laughs> is my own old albums. We, we have, I have some of them on vinyl and, and uh, Iona likes to get up in the morning and sometimes instead of watching My Little Pony, she wants to listen to my Is that strange for you? Is that surreal? Or? Oh, I, I like it, but it is yeah. a bit surreal, yeah. By choice, I've been listening to actually a bunch of stuff that would fit the classical genre. It's modern, mostly, or stuff that... I got into a conversation with a friend of mine at, at the cafe that I go to around the corner from where I live, and, and he was a, a big fan of classical music. So and I, I was saying to him, well, you know, I like the Baroque period and the, and the Renaissance, and, and then I don't like anything until the modern stuff, you know, like until the 20th century. I'm, I'm just not a fan of Mozart and Beethoven and all that stuff. You I just never frogged it. Well, I just, yeah, I just don't like it. Or this is what I told him, right? He said, oh, well, you know, and I said, especially the romantic stuff. Like, so he said, well, I'm going to send you some Rachmaninoff on YouTube. 
I'm going to send you a link. And I'm going to Rachmaninoff, okay, you know, I'm, I'm used to thinking of these crashing piano chords and sure, this yeah. bomb, bombast, right? And what he sent was this fantastic piano trio piece, beautifully performed and a beautiful piece of music, just really clever writing. And I really listened to it and it really touched me. And, and so then he started sending me more and more of this stuff, not just Rachmaninoff, but all kinds of things and different genres and different. Now he's currently into choral stuff. So he's sending me all these groups. There's a group called Voces 8, an English eight-piece vocal group that's incredible, made of incredible singers. Their pitch is unbelievable. And they just really know how to do the stuff they do. So I'm listening to stuff like that. Yeah. And it's not stuff I've been seeking out. It's just stuff that gets thrown at me. I was quite open to all forms of music when I was a teenager. So even though I might listen to Zeppelin and Supertramp and Pink Floyd with my friends at a party, when I got home, I could be caught watching Brigadoon for the music. But I did have one friend who had older brothers and a love of a certain kind of music that he and I could connect on. Acoustic music, as we called it. Not folk music. Acoustic music. There was a difference. His name was Tim Moore, and he was introduced to Bruce Coburn by his older brother, Paul, and then subsequently introduced me to Bruce long before wondering where the lions are. Bruce's guitar methods were techniques that I would very poorly try to emulate at various times of my own guitar playing career. And so as a nod and a thank you to my friend, Tim, this is from Bruce's album, In the Falling Dark, 1976 and one of Tim's favorites, Gavin's Woodpile. Stony Mountain 
life suspension home You drink and fight and damage someone And they throw you away for some years of boredom One year done and five more to go job waiting for no parole and over and over they tell you that you're nothing and I toss another log on Gavin's wood pile and wonder at the lamp warm windows welcome smile
train whistle cuts through the scene like a knife Three hawks wheeled in a dazzling sky Slow motion jet makes them look like a lie And I'm left to conclude there's no There's a narrow path to a life to come That explodes into sight With the power of the sun A mist rises as the sun goes down And the light that's left forms a kind of crown the earth is bread, the sun is wine, it's a sign of a hope that's ours for all time. painted the picture of being very much the artist when you said, I don't make plans. I don't know what I'm doing in two years. Now you're, you're saying it's when the music, this different music comes this way. I'll start listening to that. It's very inspiring to see you holding to that, that line, that artistic line of, of the line of being an artist where it's like, well, what comes, what comes and what I give, I give and carry on from there on the music side of things. Like uh, we could say rediscovered because I, she was already big, but Nina Simone. So I spent the last year listening to a ton of Nina Simone. I didn't really know her stuff. I feel embarrassed to say that, but I, I didn't know it. And then I'm listening to it and I'm just like, wow, this yeah. is just so powerful, you know? Yeah. I only knew one album of hers back in the day, uh, whatever was current in the mid sixties. It had black as the color on it and some really beautiful stuff. But that radio station I spoke of plays her sometimes and it'll be older stuff than that which is really heavy, like, like just top-notch yeah. performing and tight. Yeah, and s the sensibility is deep and, and thoughtful. And, and she, she herself, actually, yeah. in keeping in with our conversation, she herself had a sense of lyrical protest in lots sure. of She was sure she very did. provocative, you know, what yeah. she sang about. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure I heard her doing Strange Fruit, for instance, right? Which was a song that Billie Holiday made, if not popular, at least out there, available to us all. And you, you don't think of Billie Holiday as associated with any kind of protest, but that song is a, a very poignant song about lynching. You hear songs like that and you can't not be touched in some way. And I mean, I never understood what a phenomenon lynching was when I first heard that song. I mean, I was, in, I was a teenager when I first heard Billie Holiday's version of that song. And she doesn't sing it with any great bitterness in her voice. I mean, she sings it beautifully, but... And it's emotional, but it isn't. When Nina Simone, if if I'm right about it, that being the song that I'm, I'm thinking of her doing, the the rage is palpable. 
And both work. But they both work, yes. The, well, the song has its own power. It doesn't need to be dramatized. Not that there's anything wrong with, with that other, with a, an outraged interpretation of it, because it, it works that way too. Interesting that a song like that could even exist in the 40s. Well, they've always been you know? subversive though, haven't they? You know, so many of these songs yeah. happen. And quite frankly, I've been, I've really enjoyed hearing songs on AM radio. And I'm thinking whoever programmed this doesn't actually know what this song is about or doesn't know that line. I mean, in classic, uh, you could hear Take a Walk on the Wild Side yeah. on soft, soft radio now. So, and, yeah. I mean, the line is she never lost her head even when she was giving head. Yeah. Now, everyone, most people, you know, but the radio, somebody didn't know what yeah. Lou was saying. And oh, it always makes me chuckle. Yeah. A lot of the radio people I've encountered are gay. Um, that might have something to do with it. Uh, uh, I don't, I mean, I, that's not true across the board, obviously, but, but I wondered, I've wondered about that sometimes. In whether, that they, they know and they let it go yeah, or it goes over yeah. their head? No, they know and they let uh, it go. Okay. And there, that they, also speaks to the they think it's cool. Part of it. Yeah. You know, let this uh, happen. I can think of various radio people that I, when I used to go to radio stations more commonly than I do now that, that I was aware of who were, who were gay and it was fine and everything, but but uh, you could imagine them hearing a song like that and going, "Wow, this is something we can really get behind," yeah. and nobody else is going to notice this, but we do. But yeah, it's it's weird when stuff becomes, for want of a better term, music. Because I mean, I, I've been in supermarkets and heard my own stuff coming over, the, like wondering where the lines are or something coming yeah. coming through the system. And okay, fine, it, it's an indication of the place the song is found in the in the culture. But I mean, how, how, what better way can you drain a thing of its meaning, <laughs> you know, than, than in, in the drugstore and then the speakers? Yeah. 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 To hear that you are just waiting for the next muse to come along and the next album to get recorded as it comes, it thrills me because uh, I didn't, I didn't want to hear the Billy Joel version. I did my 10 albums. I'm yeah. done. I'm, it's like, okay, Bruce has got other albums in him. I'm going to look forward to them as they Well, arrive. you know, if I'd made the money Billy Joel's made, I might be in a position <laughs> to say that too. It's, it's not going to happen. You can't separate these things out. You Remember know? you're Canadian superstar and you're an, you're an international superstar, but you're still our Canadian. I feel uh, like a legend. Canadian. I live in the U S and I have for about 10 years, but I, I, I totally feel like a Canadian. I, I can't it is in my blood and it will always be. It's surreal down there, isn't it? To be Canadian. I mean, as it's like you, surreal I'm down to there be a anything, lot. To be alive down there. Yeah. The States is a nutty place. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And creepy and strange. Yeah. It's and and beautiful. And beautiful too. I mean, there's, I know a lot of really wonderful people, but boy, I mean, they're scratching their heads about what they're looking at just as much as I am, but it is different. I mean, it's different to be born there than it is to be born here. I'm really happy to be born here. I think being Canadian I, especially now, uh, traveling the world was one thing, but spending so much time as I do down in the States, I'm in a very conservative town. It has left me with the impression that, you know what? I am so much more proud of being a Canadian than I ever thought. And I used to be critical that Canadians aren't patriotic. And I, and I heard an, an old interview with Pierre Burton and he said, we're intensely patriotic. We just aren't super vocal about it like yeah. everybody else. No, we, I, we, I think that's true. He, he made a great point. He said, we don't pledge the, the oath of allegiance because we don't have to. We just live it. We just expect that this is part of what, what we, we, this is our allegiance is to yeah. this country. Yeah. I mean, I think that was is under attack currently. Mm. Uh, it's not necessarily by design, but it's, I mean, all sentiments like that in a way are under attack by the, the globalized world we live in, just uh, just circumstantially. You, you know, we go online and we find we're in, in contact and we're getting information from everywhere. And it softens the, 
the sense of attachment to home, I think uh, there used to be a lot of things I grew up thinking that one counted on that one can no longer count on, like having a job or having a certain relationship to to the rest of society or to or to loved ones even. All of the world has changed a lot. Anybody my age could have has always been able to say that about their life. But I think it's changed in a really big way. And I'm not the only person who's noticing this, obviously, but it's a challenge now to find a new way of relating to the world that we have, if it lasts long enough. I mean, it's going to change. The, the world will last indefinitely, but we won't. Well, to quote Bruce <laughs> so, Coburn in, in the documentary, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I hope I mean, that's is it hell in a handbag? Or, this is my last question for you, is it, are we hell in a handbag at this moment? Or is there a bubble of opportunity to change the course. I think there's always opportunity to change things. Uh, Any one individual may not live to see the effect of their efforts. You have to factor that into it because I learned that just from being involved with the development agencies that I've been involved with. And very, very rarely do you get to see a change actually happen and take root and become real. You'll see uh, indications of it and there's lots of grounds for hope, but you don't really get to see the outcome. So it's important to remember that, I think, thinking about what we're confronted with now, because otherwise you get hopeless and burnt out quickly. Uh, you're looking at a world that there's so much beauty. Look out this window. I mean, it's gorgeous, but everything's under threat. But now we've got a threat we made and we're not doing enough about it fast enough. So we're up against it. There's a, a powerful dark energy behind the forces of destruction that has to be resisted. It, doesn't, it can't be resisted from a hopeless position or a position of hopelessness, and, and it can't be resisted in its own terms because it's, it's always going to be stronger. So you have to resist it with, with truth, with hope, with um, whatever brains you can bring to bear on this, and, and, and with community because one of the, one of the signal characteristics of, of this new scenario that we find ourselves in is, is fragmentation even though we're all in a certain way unified because we can communicate across the globe instantly, et cetera, et cetera. And because we all are basically are in the same economy, or at least we have the same understanding of the global economy uh, from, from anywhere in the world. Uh, we have that in common, but at the same time, we, we, our friends are virtual and our communications are virtual. It's all, there's, there's no, nobody hugging you. And there's nobody supporting you when you, you know, a friend of mine injured herself at one point uh, last year and was to a degree incapacitated. And people sent all kinds of condolences online, but nobody helped her get the groceries. I mean, people who lived across the street and they're not bad people. They're just, they're not callous people. They just think they did something because they said something online. Whatever we can do to mitigate that, the effect of that, the negative effect of that is really important, I think. So communicate, communicate, communicate for real. Like, it's okay. We can call each other names. We can, it's another whole conversation about being online. It's the, the vile stuff that people feel licensed to, to put out there. It's okay to have that stuff in your heart if you must. But I think putting it out there invites people to have it in their heart more. And if you're obliged to kind of mind your manners a little bit, you'll feel better inside too. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's real. But anyway, sermon's over. Yeah. <laughs> well, all the, all the more reason for the kind of music that says something that has a message that is a 
powerful and uplifting message. Thanks for coming in. You and I are going to have a hundred other conversations yet on our own. I so, hope so. As always. I'm enjoying with, this one. With a nice glass of bourbon in front of us uh, as well. Um, yes. Okay. Thanks, Bruce. I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you at the show tonight and I'll see you in San Fran. Thank you, Les. Thanks. In part one of my interview with Bruce, at the end, I read aloud one of his favorite poems, the poem that may have very well set him on his path in artistry. It was called Ars Poetica by Archibald MacLeish. I thought it only fitting to read another poem from another poet, though he's reluctant to be called that. These are the poetic words from Bruce Coburn. All the diamonds. All the diamonds in this world that mean anything to me are conjured up by wind and sunlight sparkling on the sea. I ran aground in a harbor town and lost the taste for being free. Thank God he sent some gull-chased ship to carry me to sea. Two thousand years and half a world away, dying trees still grow greener when you pray. Silver scales flash bright and fade in reeds along the shore. Like a pearl in a sea of liquid jade, his ship comes shining. Like a crystal swan in a sky of suns, his ship comes shining. When Bruce and I were in the studio in Ashland, Oregon, recording tracks for my film Lalosh, I asked him to do me one favor. I was using an acoustic version of my otherwise bombastic song, Mother Earth, and would he play a solo for it? So this is Bruce and I playing my song, Mother Earth, one time, one take, one sound, and it closes out the film Lalosh, which is still airing on PBS stations in the United States. As I did in the film, I'll go out today with this song, Mother Earth. So
Surviving Life with Les Stroud is gracefully engineered by Keith Oman. Oman, Oman, Oman. You know, I just realized today, Keith, that your last name is, oh man, I'm just thinking about what you had to go through in high school, but I digress. And we are a member of the Apostrophe Podcast Network. No pun. That's it. Stick around, everyone. We'll figure life out together. Oh, hang on, one more thing. Okay, well, a couple of things. Please go check out my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, where I not only upload these podcasts, but also hundreds of other videos going up weekly. And try to catch my new series on public television, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. Lastly, do a Google search for my brand new children's book, Wild Outside, Around the World with Survivor Man. It's for 7 to 12-year-olds, packed with outdoor adventures and activities they can do and tips. I'm on all the usual social media outlets. Come and find me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.